0: Before today's interview, I wanted to ask a small favour, really small one, I promise. I got a message from one of my listeners over the weekend, letting me know that they had nominated Climbing Consulting for the Listener's Choice Award at the British Podcast Awards 2018. This award is voted for by podcast listeners like you and goes to the podcast who get the most votes from their listeners before the 12th of May this year. As this listener was kind enough to vote for me and for Climbing Consulting, I decided the least I could do was have a go at this award and see where we can get Climbing Consulting to. And to do this, I need your help. If you've enjoyed any of these podcasts, please could I ask you to take a moment to vote for Climbing Consulting for the Listener's Choice Award at the British Podcast Awards 2018. It's really easy to do, and here's how you do it. Step one, go to your browser, pick your phone up right now or on your desktop if you're at work and type bit.ly forward slash CIC vote all in little letters really important that bit and that's bit bit.ly forward slash CIC vote that will take you to the listeners choice award nomination form on the British podcast award website and that takes you to step two On that form where it says search for podcast, type climbing consulting and select that as the podcast you want to vote for. At least I hope you want to vote for climbing consulting. Step three, enter your name, enter your email and hit vote. That's it. Thanks in advance to those of you who have listened to that and are off to vote straight away. Thanks so much to those of you who have already voted. I really appreciate it. It really means a lot to get your feedback. And thanks a lot for helping with this. Please do let me know if you voted for Climbing Consulting, if you've just enjoyed Climbing Consulting, anything and everything, drop me a message. It's nick at climbingconsulting.com. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Climbing Consulting with me, your host, Nick Sinnott. Before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to remind you about the latest feature of the podcast that I'm trialing. If you don't have time to listen to the whole interview, but you still want to hear the advice of my guests, I've added a really useful section to the show notes for you. If you open the full description of the podcast on your phone, you can now see the list of questions that I asked today's guest and the point in the podcast where I asked them. So you can fast forward straight to the section you want to listen to or flick back to that critical piece of advice that you just want to hear again. I hope you find this useful. Please let me know. Drop me an email on nick at climbinconsulting.com and let me know what you think. In today's episode, I chat with Sunita Pada. Sunita is an independent consultant who's carved a niche for herself in the regulation and compliance space, helping insurance companies manage and respond to the ever-changing regulatory landscape. Since founding her consulting brand, Pada Consulting, back in 2012, Sunita has developed a great reputation in the market with both insurance firms and the city's regulator as someone who can get things fixed. This reputation has helped her develop a successful portfolio of clients, enabling her to choose the clients she wants to work with and position herself as a premium brand in the market. The goal for pretty much all independent consultants. Sunita's story is really interesting and very different to the traditional route that many consultants take to get into the industry. I don't want to spoil the surprise, so I won't say much more, other than it shows what you can do if you put your mind to something. We cover some really interesting topics in this interview, including Sunita's view on diversity and the advice she gives to younger women that she mentors, how Sunita distinguishes her consulting offering to ensure clients see her as a premium brand, and her advice on how to build your network and your brand. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I'm sure you'll get a lot out of it too. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Sunita Padder. Hi, Sunita. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Nick.
0: Thanks. So I wanted to actually start, just for my listeners' benefit, you're obviously an independent consultant like myself. really wanted to start with actually why you went into independent consulting.
1: Rather an interesting story because I hadn't worked for very long before I went into independent consulting. I started my career at the FSA, which is now the FCA, and then moved to an insurance broker and an international broker, and then head of global compliance at a broker. And then I was at an insurer looking after UK insurance. And it was at that time, which actually I can remember the date September the 19th, 2011 got a phone call that my ex-husband had died. He was only 45 at the time, which was actually kind of the catalyst for me deciding what I wanted to do next. So I spent the week at home and then I came into work and I resigned. And at the time I resigned, the person that I reported to It just thought that maybe I was feeling over emotional and I should go away and think about it. And I did think about it and I thought, well, actually, I don't want to be doing the same thing for the rest of my life. I don't want to be getting the same train, the 623 from West Wickham, (laughs) sitting in the same seat and actually noticing that other people also sat in the same seats, getting off at the same station, getting really irate if the train was late at 6.23 in the morning. How can you possibly be late for work? It was just this whole society prescribed culture, ways, which I wasn't happy with anymore. And I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do things my way. And setting up on my own was one of those things. It was taking a risk. It was taking a massive risk. I was a single mum, still am, single mum with two kids who were now of an age where I think my son was about 20, one at the time. My daughter was a little bit older and I thought, I really don't want to be doing this. Yeah. And it did. It, it's like being addicted to something and then having to come off it because setting your alarm clock for a different time, that, that was bizarre. And actually getting out of bed a different time in the morning, that was bizarre. Getting a different time, it felt like I was being a real rebel, but actually I was doing things to suit myself mm. rather than doing things that conformed to how the city or society or work ethics had prescribed them. And one of the things that I really note as well, we've got a work environment in the city whereby everybody's promoting agile working, flexible working, and people are struggling to get that whole concept of, well, what does that mean? For 30 years, I've been getting that same train. And and I'm allowed to work at home one day, how do how do I do that? So it's actually having to teach people what that means for them. Mm. You know, you can set, you can work from anywhere. You know, we've got laptops, we've got phones, we've got access to social media, you can sit in a coffee shop, you can set up on Wi-Fi. And that's one of the things that I've learned over the last few years is I can work anywhere. Mm. I can sit in a coffee shop, I can sit on a train, I can sit on a beach, I can be on a holiday, I can actually sit on a beach and work. And feel like I'm doing something productive rather than feel like oh this is kind of cutting into my holiday I shouldn't be doing this but again working for yourself I really enjoy what I do yeah. so I never see it as work. And
0: coming back to that week you took off you know obviously uh, your ex-husband had died and that was the, the catalyst for this do you remember any of the, the questions you were asking yourself during this week or or what you did during that week to actually decide okay I'd I've had enough of working for someone else. It's time to go out as an independent consultant.
1: Okay. So one of the things that really went through my mind was, so I work in compliance. Nick, you work work in compliance. It's not terribly exciting. No matter how way you try and sell it, working compliance in-house is not going to be exciting. Where was I going to go next? Yeah. To the next level up?
0: Because you made it quite far. I mean, like you said, you got to sort of head of compliance very quickly in one firm sort of
1: i think learning the technical side of things is one aspect yeah so i do enjoy it i but i enjoy more the application of compliance the rules it's one thing you can read through the handbook and you can read through consultation papers and you can translate those and you can say oh this is what it means but it's actually bringing those to life is what i really enjoy Mm and solving problems. In that week, I realized that actually, the reason I changed jobs was because I was doing a job. And once I'd resolved the issues, and it was business as usual, I got bored. So that's when I was reflecting. That's why I moved a few times in my career in a very short period of time, because I was there fixing problems. So one of the things was, why can't I fix problems all of the time? So that's why I like being independent. I also like to maintain that independence. I'm not somebody that will go in to a firm and then say five days a week and they keep extending your contract. And because I've come across people who are independent and I use that in inverted commas, and you ask them how long they've been there, three years. How can they then sell themselves as independent if they've stayed in that same role for three years? If I'm in for six months, I stay for six months. On a few occasions it's been extended, but that's because the work has meant for it to be extended. Not because I think, oh, this is comfy. Yes, it's comfier and it's easier to stay, but that's not why I do what I do. I do it because I like the variety. Yeah. I don't just work on a one-on-one basis. So I've now, since 2012, whilst I do interim contracts. I've also built up this smaller portfolio of smaller contracts, working with smaller firms where you go in, maybe they say, we need you one day a week, two days a week, one day a month, two days a month. So I've got a portfolio of those firms and I've actually got a couple of consultants who work with me now and I subcontract out to them. So I won't employ any other people because I really don't want the hassle (laughs) because I've seen some (laughs) of that in the workplace. The only hassle I get from an employee is the uh, one employee that I have, and that's my
0: daughter. She's a safe best, I take it. Uh,
1: More or (laughs) or less, more or less.
0: And how did you build up that portfolio? Because I, I think, like you say, that on the independent side is a particularly interesting thing. Like you said, I'm independent. I know a lot of other independents who would like to have more of almost a portfolio of clients where it's much more advisory instead of doing, like you said in that example, a three-year day rate where you're just turning the handle as a shadow employee. Mm. How did you build that portfolio?
1: It was always my intention and I didn't actually start doing it until about two and a half, three years ago. And now it's this year is our growth on that side of the business. The way that I did it was networking didn't have anyone to open doors. I hadn't been in the industry long enough. It was networking. It was making sure that I I participated in things that were happening in the city. So one of the things that I got involved with was the broker network where there's a young forum, younger individuals who are closely linked to the city, work in schools closely linked to the city. And I don't think it's called the broker forum. I can't remember the name of it, but they work closely With a number of city firms who give them opportunities who who teach them you know they don't come from the kind of families that the city is built up on Mm. they're not privileged enough to have gone to the top private schools and their uncles work in the city and they know how to behave i empathize with a number of those things because when i first started working I didn't even know what a team meeting was. And I'll come back to that story because there is a funny story to tell there. If I rewind a little bit, because I think you need to understand a little bit about me sure. to be able to understand some of the things and some of the hurdles that I've been through. I got married at 19. I was married. I had an arranged marriage. I'm, I am have an Indian background. I was brought up in a very strict family. And when I got married, I thought that was going to be the rest of my life. So being told what to wear, where to go, who to talk to. And Fortunately or unfortunately, my ex-husband had an affair, which led me to leave. And I took the kids and I set up on my own. I had no degree at this time. I had no money. I had no job.
0: How old were you at this time when you up on your own?
1: Wow. Well, I was 30. And there was a women's refuge that helped support finding me a house, sorting out how I paid for that house, how I got a student grant, how I enrolled at university on a part-time course. So all of those things were important. Drinking culture, socializing, going out in the evenings wasn't part of the 30 years of my life. So I find myself at the FSA and I'm working for a team now. I've got my first permanent job after about a year because up until then I was a temp. There's a guy that I worked for who's about six foot seven, former Olympic rower, and they could drink because, you know, your body, I now know, can accept certain, you know, you you build up a tolerance level to yeah. alcohol. So imagine never having really drunk more than about five glasses of anything up until you're 30 years old. And now you're in this environment that people say, right, we're going on, we've got a team meeting and thinking, well, I'm not quite sure what that involves. And then we've, we're going to have like a team session afterwards in terms of strategy all the rest of it. Didn't know what that meant. We went down to, it was a Davies around yeah, the corner. I, I, from,
0: another one. Right? So I also used to work at the fsa mm, yeah so, so yeah, I, know, I know the local uh, davis yeah. sunny
1: day everybody's standing outside alcohol flowing so i'm sat there and so i didn't know what to do i actually didn't know how what i that i could ask for a soft drink so i just followed the rest of the team so the white wine cut arrives i thought well, what should i do so i looked at this guy who's six foot seven i thought i'm just going to copy what he does <laughs> So the glass just of wine... Just to w- help
0: my listeners, you're, you're not six foot seven, just so they can... No, I'm five foot five. Yeah? So I'm <laughs> looking
1: up at this guy. He's pouring the wine and I look at it and he's, he's drinking yeah. it really fast. So I'm drinking this wine really fast. And remember, I'm single mum. Kids have gone to school. Daughter had just started a new secondary school. And I had to be home by eight o'clock. I managed to get on the train. I lived in Croydon at the time. Got a train to East Croydon Station and I got on a tram. I got off the tram and I didn't feel very well. So I waited for everybody else to walk away. And there were these barriers. And I did projectile vomit over these barriers. And it was eight o'clock, summer's day. It was light. Unknown to me, a car had passed with a woman driving and a young girl in the front and another young girl in the back. When I got home, which was around the corner from the station, my daughter had great joy in saying, mommy, we just saw you being sick. <laughs> and I said, um, yes, that's cause I've been drinking. So you're drunk. So I can tell all my friends that my mum was drunk. Well, this, I just met her new friend, new friend's mother. And that was the introduction. And we were really, really good friends, uh, up until she passed away anyway, but really good friends. So that, so all those things, whilst it's a very funny story, mm. if you unpick how do I dress? What does a team meeting involve? What does it mean when somebody's going out for drinks? Am I allowed to ask for a soft drink? All these things, these children that come from these schools around Tower Hamlets to learn about city life. So academically, they're really bright and they want to get an inning into the city. Mm. But from everything else, they don't have parents that come home and tell them, oh, this is what happens in the office or this is this is the kind of things that we talk about, you know, the dad, mum might work in a factory, dad might work as a cab driver, Mm. or vice versa, mum might be a housewife. So it's a very different upbringing. So I like to help where in terms of using my experience and helping this generation or changing the way of the city, basically breaking down some of those barriers.
0: Yeah, and I think that that particularly is a really interesting point. Because, like you say, there is a perception in the city. And frankly, I think it is a reality that a lot of people either through you know, sheer nepotism or just simply, as you say, dad works at in insurance, so I've heard about insurance. People tend to come into the industry because they they know someone in it. And people who have less familiarity with the city, it's it's much harder to break in. I, I'd be really interested in, almost in your advice for either people who are looking to get in the city, but also people who who are in it and you know, maybe like yourself, think I'd love to be an independent consultant, but you know, I have friends who who have had that conversation with me. And sometimes you get the, oh, but I don't know enough people or my dad isn't the CEO. And that comes up whether you're a 17, 18 year old looking to break in, whether you're in a firm, whether you're looking to be an independent consultant. You obviously broke in, did very well and have now gone out on your own. What advice would you give to people who maybe sort of say that to you as a reason they can't do it?
1: I think that's the first thing is, individuals need to remove the barriers that they put put up themselves. I think society and other people will put barriers up for you anyway, so why start by putting barriers up yourself? With regards to advice to younger people get involved in some of these citylink forums get involved find out what your schools are doing find out what your universities are doing and if they're not doing anything make ask your universities to get in touch with with city forums lloyds of london some of the trade bodies there's london insurance life is another good way of getting into the city so there's a number of forums now so make use of those forums or get your establishment whether it's a university a college or a school to make connections so that individuals can come out to your your school to your place of study to give you some advice on what you need to do so that's one thing the other thing is about networking you know there are times when I don't feel like going to someone's leaving do or going out to another function or going out to a networking event because you think oh well I know I know about that subject matter but it's not about the subject matter it's about the people that are going to be there and I take a number of young people Notice I don't say young girls, young people who I'm quite happy to mentor and take them out and teach them how to network because that in itself is a skill. Yeah. So it's great. You go out to an event, but you don't just sit there and talk to one person for the whole of the evening. You have to have a strategy. What is your strategy? How many people are you going to talk to? How many business cards are you going to give out in that in the course of that, whether it's an event, an evening, whatever it is, it's about getting yourself out there. Then the other aspect is it's about your work. So even as an independent, I'm only as good or my company is only as good as the last job. So reputation is absolutely paramount in everything that we do. If somebody's not happy, we want to know why they're not happy. We will deliver. We will deliver. We're top end. We're not as cheap as some of the other firms out there, but we do deliver a good product. We offer a good service. And it's that reputation is how we've been building our business. Not through, we do have a website. Yes, we do have newsletters, etc., that we've now started to publish. We're only focusing on our growth this year. Up to now, the five years, it's all been by word of mouth. Mm. So we work for a firm, another firm might, CEO of one firm, might speak to a CEO of another firm, and it's building that brand. One of the other things that I can remember going to about three or four years ago, I was invited to a livery lunch. The uh, company of insurers. And I looked around and I was just absolutely mesmerized. This historic practices in this establishment in the middle of the city. Anyway, I observed, I watched, and I thought, oh gosh, I could never do this. Before I knew it, I was asked, and this was all driving part of it was driving the diversity agenda in the city. I'm female, I'm Asian. The master at the time was Bronick, CEO of Hiscox. He asked if I would be willing to join the livery. And so I joined the livery and I became quite active in the livery. So that's the Worshipful Company of Insurers. Then I got put onto the committee, the IWIN committee, Independent Women in Insurance Networks. So I'm on that committee. So again, driving it's, and it's not just because it's Independent Women in Insurance, we do stuff, but it's also, it's all inclusive. It's not exclusive to women and that's one of the things that I like to bring to the table. I don't like that we've got to drive a female agenda. I like the fact that we can be inclusive of everybody because there are people who have different issues regardless of whether you're you know standing up against six white men and me. We might all have different issues. It's nice to be all inclusive. Then about two years ago I got my freedom to the city as well.
0: Which came as a
1: surprise because I was like, "Oh, thank you." So I'm allowed to walk sheep over London Bridge.
0: I'm yet. I'm yet to see someone do that. I really want to see someone do that. It's happened.
1: Has it? Yes. How, how yes. long ago? Though? I think. No, I think there is a there is almost this day that they're building up. It's in September sometime, where I think. You, know, you can
0: go and you yeah. can go. And walk. Although
1: I don't have access to a real sheep, so it might have
0: to be some <laughs> some furry
1: toy or something. I love, I love
0: that that's the challenge. Here. You've achieved everything else, but you don't have the paddock of sheep to yeah, exactly. <laughs> to, to walk across the city. Yeah. And I do want to, to touch on the the point you highlight about diversity, because I think it's a really interesting take. I want to come back briefly though. To the the networking piece you know you gave a, a couple of insights there around you know, why are you going how many people are you going to network with just through the stories you've just told us i would probably say you're quite good at networking would be my perception' you're almost very good you know if you've gone from again if you just look at that timeline from entering the city not knowing what a team meeting is to joining the livery getting to the point you have for those people listening you know who are in the industry in a position like yourself maybe looking to go independent or are what sort of I guess, tactics do you use or advice would you give them around networking to get the results you have?
1: I think a lot of it is people know that I'm myself. I don't put on a persona. I don't put on a front. This is me. I can laugh. I can have fun. I continuously prank people wherever I work. That is just something (laughs) that I do. But I am me. I, I don't feel that I need to change who I am because people are buying, when they're buying into my brand and buying into the company, initially the fear was they're buying into me as a person. But the people that I bring on board and how we engage and how we interact with people. So I think one of the things is don't be afraid, don't conform to what you think you should be or what people want you to be. I think people like the fact that you're yourself. I don't have any kind of over objectives when i speak to people i genuinely like people i'm genuinely interested in how people have made their kind of rags to riches story or how people have got into the city or the challenges that so i genuinely, i I have real conversations with people it's not like i walk up to people and say oh look pad consulting we do compliance in insurance you know have you got a gap have you got a space it's more generally understanding what people are like because it's a two-way game yeah because there are firms that I wouldn't want to work for, and I've not worked for, or I say that I'm sorry, we haven't got the capacity because the brand that we're building and the type of people that we're working with, you kind of attract that type of person. So I think don't be afraid to be yourself. I think too many people feel that they have to conform. And the reason I say that is when I do work in-house and work for some bigger companies, People get a bit frightened when they think oh, so and is a board director or so-and-so's heads up the function. You think they are people. Yeah. They are normal people. Have a normal conversation. Get your points across because they will respect you a lot more. And the reason I say all of those things is because I felt the same as they did. Once upon a time, I had those same feelings. I couldn't possibly speak to that person. Mind you, saying that, it now reminds me of a situation. When I was at the FSA... And Anna Sweeney, who's now at the PRA, was a personal assistant, not PA, I mean like an executive assistant. And these guys used to sit on the um, exec floor with the chairman, with the MDs. And there was one particular occasion when I'd been at the FSA for about 12 months. I remember walking up to that floor and asking the executive assistant to the MD. And I asked to have a meeting with him. And all I was asked was, Oh, what do you want to meet? I, said, I just want to ask him questions about the regulator and what's wow. happening and what we're doing. And people say, Well, why are you meeting with him? And I said, Well, why not? Yeah. And I think because I had that, um, I'd not grown up or had the legacy issues that people have built into them through society, and because I'd literally come in at the age of 35, 36, I had the maturity, some would, some might laugh at that, but I had the maturity of being 35, 36, but I also had like the naivety of, but I've got all these questions. Why can't I speak to this person? And he spoke to me. We had a really good chat. And I never lost that actually. I yeah. think I've always felt that if I want to speak to someone or ask them a question, what's the worst thing they are going to do? Is say no.
0: Yeah, and I think that's... Uh- A really good point around networking and just in general that be yourself and you know as you've done with your your consulting business you will attract the clients you want to work with and you will either indirectly or directly you will sort of push away the clients that you don't want because that there isn't you know there's not that cultural fit and it sounds like that's something you've been very strong on the other side of the sort of independent question which you you did touch on around your brand being quite a premium one is I know when I speak to some recruiters, there's contractors can be a commoditized resource. So Mm. you can speak to some people and say, they say, this role, let's stick in your area, compliance consultant for this piece, the day rate's X. Mm. And that's what it is. What I'd be really interested in is how you actually pitch your proposition. To separate yourself from, I like to think of it as cereal boxes on a shelf in mm. sort of Tesco's or Waitrose mm. or wherever. Yeah, how you differentiate yourself from being just another cereal box, and oh, you're you know you're a little bit more, so we're not using you. Yeah. And how you actually become that premium brand to say, well, look, me and my my small team, we will deliver, but we charge more. How how do you have that conversation?
1: Because we right. So the way that I have that conversation because that's really interesting. Because initially, when somebody comes up to you and says, five days a week, and it's um, 500 pounds a day. And you think, can I just come in and see if you do need somebody five days a week? Yeah. Just do a, and like almost like a triage. Say so actually, you don't need somebody five days a week. So the person that you'd been paying for all this time was just inefficient. So we can bring more efficiencies. You need somebody two days a week, and it's at that rate, at 500 pounds, which actually is costing you less overall. So you're getting more because we're efficient and we're giving you something a little bit more exclusive. So that's the way that from a premium brand perspective, and you look at, you say about the cereal boxes, and that's what I've been trying to build over the years is it's very easy to be a consultant that, you know, I had somebody else ask me, they've had three different consultants in and said, you know, you've come recommended to us, you know, went in. Had to look. Yes, they're small, very niche in what they do. Gave them a quote in terms of this is what we do, and said, "Oh no, that's way off." And, and you just have to say, "Well, actually, w- we're not the right fit for you." Then, so it's that choice thing as well. You know, sometimes people choose to shop, do their weekly shop at Waitrose, and sometimes people choose to do their weekly shop at Sainsbury's. But sometimes you get people who do their normal shop at Sainsbury's, for instance but they like to go when they've got people coming over for dinner so say for instance you've got a deep dive or you've got a PSM action or you've got something of that description and you've got to deliver the best quality you're having a dinner party and you're inviting friends around. so on that occasion you're going to go into waitrose so it could be i know it's a bizarre analogy i'm full of No those, no it makes it makes but, but perfect that's sense that's kind to me. of how it could be it's so we might not always be the waitros of this world but guess what on on some occasions, we're quite competitive and we've won some good pieces of work where we've delivered on PSM actions and we're known to the regulators. One regulator whom I deal with quite a lot has said, we've got a name for you. It's called Challenge Annika. Where are you going to next?
0: <laughs> I mean, that, that must be a great uh, great reputation to have. And I don't know if that's on your marketing material, but it, it really should be. It's uh, And actually that point for me at least, makes me think about the whole independent equation very differently. And like you say, the instead of having the commodity conversation to say, yes, I'll accept £500 a day or no, I want 520 and I'll do it for six months, mm. actually pitching yourself as a consultant, I'd say, in terms of, well, look, let me work with you. Let me see if there is a piece of work here. And if there's not, I won't be, you know, save you 600, sort of six months' work. But like you, I think you were highlighting there is, if there's something really key, and you need good quality people, well, mm. we're more expensive per day. Mm. But actually, when you when you add it up, we might do three days a week, because we're not inefficient and and low quality. And I, th- I think that's a key point as well. Because we take on board that firms are struggling, you know, you need to cut costs, but you can't be
1: too lean that you're going to give yourself some regulatory issues and problems. But you can be lean and efficient. And why can't We market ourselves as consultants in that capacity. We don't go in and say, I've been in a firm where they've said, we need you five days a week. I'm saying, no, you don't. Two days a week, I can do it. No, we need you five days a week. And having this conversation, no, you don't. Let's try it two days a week. And it works. And they're actually saying, you know, they 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 can dip in and out. But then you're managing their expectations as an entity, as an organization, because they're looking at the bottom line you know, in a, in a hard market, in a soft market, what are the expenses, where can they afford to spend money, where they can't afford to spend money. Right now, firms are looking to cut costs where they can, mm. because they've got to invest technology, systems, innovation, and the ones that don't are going to be left behind. Yeah. So that's where they need their money.
0: No, definitely. I fully agree with you. And just for my listeners' benefit, the hard and soft market. Is an insurance term about when the market's buoyant, when it's not. I think insurance has been in a soft market since I've been in the industry since 2010. I I think it's now just the market. And I think, like you've highlighted, people are having to cut their cloth accordingly and pitching yourself as a premium product who can deliver will always, always stand you in good stead. Yeah. I'm interested to come back to the point you made because you used quite particular language around young people. You made the point, I'm not talking about young women, Mm. I'm talking about young people in general. Mm. And I know you mentor young people as sort of part of just what you want to do in your legacy. Mm. I'm really interested in the advice you give to those people. I mean, we've touched on a few of the challenges around you make your own success. Yeah, What are the maybe two or three reoccurring bits of advice that you find yourself giving to younger people either in the industry or, or wanting to enter it?
1: Okay, that, that's really interesting because there is a common theme emerging. And From when I was younger, and I got married in 1986, so grew up in a very strict family, I'm going to use it as a cultural awareness issue. As a young girl growing up in an Asian family, the day that you're born, this is going back. It's not true now, but then, or it may be true in some cultures, but from the day that you're born, you're at a disadvantage because you're deemed as second best boys are primary position you know the number of asian women of a similar age and we talk about our brothers and we say oh the golden child because a boy can do no wrong the boy everything is invested in the boy because years ago it was the boys that are going to be there to look after the parents not the case anymore but there's still that cultural kind of you you can't get rid of that bit of the culture where boys are deemed to be better than girls so you, you start at a disadvantage Anyway, you you kind of get married and you are where you are in this position. The other thing as young girls, you're told only speak when you're spoken to. Don't disrespect your elders. Don't answer back. So all of these things which think, oh, that's all good manners and all nice things. Not quite so when you're all put into the workplace. So we talked about academically bright young people. They go through education, they come out with the first. They're not brought up in an environment where parents work in the city or work in a banking environment or work in a finance environment. And then they come out into the big wide world. And one of the struggles that I've seen amongst some of the young people, amongst some cultures, is where they do things and they don't challenge their managers because that challenge they see as being disrespectful. And the reason I draw on that point is because one of the first things that my manager pulled me up on in my first appraisal at the FSA was, Sneetha, you don't challenge. Someone said the sky was pink. You just agree and say <laughs> the sky is pink. And people who know me now would, would never put me in that box. Yeah. But the world is black and white. It's either yes or no. There is no gray. This is how the world is. You need to start building and developing on that. When you say to these girls, so why don't you, or young people, it's not just girls, why don't you challenge? And they say, well, I don't want to disrespect my manager. But he's going to think a lot more of you if you actually turn around and say, there's a better way of doing that. So it's challenging, but constructively challenging, not critically, constructively challenging. It doesn't matter how old people are in the workplace. And just because you're younger doesn't mean to say you don't bring something valuable to the workplace because you absolutely do, because that's what the workplace needs right now. So it's that challenge and making sure that a lot of these cultures, you know, drinking isn't part of their culture, and yet they feel they can't go to events because they feel they have to drink. So yeah. no, you don't. Yeah, You know, we're now in a world whereby everyone's going fitness crazy, no drinking, no drink, dry January, dry October, dry whenever it is. So actually, people are drinking far less when you do go out to places. Drink what you want to. Just because you're going into a wine bar or a pub does not mean to say you have to drink alcohol. There's a lot of little things that I advise people on. And also, when they get to a certain point, young girls might think, When's the right time for me to have a family? And you think, don't think about it. There should be that natural flow in life. You know, that's my job. I really love my job. And this is my personal life. And actually, whilst we all know that, you know, there are certain challenges out there, I've worked for a couple of firms where they've taken on somebody and two months later said, oh, yeah, I'm five months pregnant. You can't discriminate against individuals. And whilst people might feel that they're being discriminated against because, oh, I've stopped to have a baby or because I'm a woman, no, don't see yourself like that. See yourself as an equal amongst the people that you're working with because that's how I've seen it. I've, I've never seen myself as I'm female, I'm brown, I'm inexperienced in the insurance sector. I always think I'm going to learn, I'm going to try my best. And I've never looked look at myself and think, sometimes I look in the mirror and think, oh yeah, I'm a brown woman, but you know, but, but that's just the, way <laughs> the world is. But I don't see myself as that. Yeah. So I see myself as an equal in everything that I do. I'm always forward the best person gets the job, meritocracy. If you can start instilling that into the next generation, I think you know we talk about diversity, we talk about inclusion, and it's a very important topic, and it is really important and I'm not dismissing the fact that people have had a number of challenges, but I think we need to start making that journey a little bit more fluid.
0: yeah, and I, I think it's a really interesting point you highlight as well about the about the journey and actually not necessarily measuring yourself against others of your age or peer group or whatever it may be I think there is a especially in the city and you know having been on the in-house consulting side there is that feeling that there is a bit of a race you know oh so and so is now ahead of me or I've taken maternity leave obviously not myself mm. but I've got friends who have you know now I'm behind my peers and I, I think your take, especially given your background, you know, entering the city at 35, I think you said when you started mm. say, so. but actually looking at what you've achieved in that space of time, instead of going, oh, I'm 12 years behind everyone, you've gone, I'm right at the start and I'm going to make it happen. And it sounds like that mindset is almost the key piece for you, is having yeah, that view.
1: It's absolutely, it's being positive, number one, looking at the glass half full. I'm always grateful and thankful for all the things that I have around me, rather than miserable because of the things that I don't have. There's also the other concept that we we are constantly measuring ourselves. You know, we've got society prescribed values. We all feel that we have to get on this little journey of, I have to do my A-levels. I have to go to university. I have to come out with the best grade. I have to get a job. I have to get a job that requires me to wear a suit and carry a briefcase. I have to then get married before I have children. I have to then buy a house and then I have to have a car. And then... Each time, as a measure of success against my peers, it has to be better than everybody else's. Every time you get a promotion, what do people do? Rather than thinking, oh, I've got this extra disposable income, I'm going to go and have some amazing holidays or go and do some amazing things in my life and experience some amazing things. Oh, no, it's time to upgrade all of those things and have a bigger house and a bigger car. But, so, so really, it's about pushing that to one side and thinking, what do I want where are my values and my measures? And I have good values. I have good morals. And for me, I'm a good person. I will help absolutely anybody. And for me, that's enough. And I just feel that we need to be content with what we've got. We need to follow a journey that's individual to us. We need to measure success for ourselves. I was talking to some teachers once and you know, saying about Ofsted reports and the measure is there. You've got this one measure of Ofsted, and this is whether you're outstanding or below par, and that's the measure. But actually, the true measure should be the difference you've made from the starting point to the end point and how much difference that school has made. Because not all entrants are exactly the same. Some of these secondary schools or junior schools they're not called that anymore are they but you know what i mean yeah i know what you mean. the, the entry level is you've got children joining schools that don't even speak english yeah the measures are that they've got to be your own success measures
0: And it sounds like you've got a really good grasp of, like you say, your own success measures, your values. Was there or is there anything you could recommend to my listeners? If someone's thinking, I really like what you're saying, but I'm just not sure on what my values are or what my success measures are. Are there any books, courses, or were there any points in your life that really helped you crystallize that? For me,
1: it's been life experience. It it has been life experience that's made me think the way that I think. You know, I lost my parents about 20 years ago, lost an ex-husband. I've lost a very good friend to breast cancer, which drive my behaviors and drive my values and drive i don't want to my journey on this in this world or whatever it is to be wasted i don't look back with regret i look back and i learn so don't look back and think oh god i've made a mistake i'm going down this hole no think right what why did i make that mistake what can i learn from it how can i improve myself and how am i going to make it better next time we all make mistakes we're human but don't get into that little pit of Self pity and wallow. I could, that's something I've never done. Yeah. I will go out there and think, right. I've got to make the most of this, and whatever situation it is, you can make the most of it. I'd love to say, yeah, there's great books that I've read. Well, wait till I write it. You know? oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that can be uh, one of your next one of your next uh, projects. Yeah. So, and at, actually, turning to sort of the projects that you're working on. Obviously, you've got the independent consulting, mm-hmm. and I know there's a number of different propositions within that. Could you also tell me a bit about some of the other areas you're working I know you're, you're working on quite an innovative startup idea. I don't mm. know if you can tell my listeners a bit about that, how you got into it.
1: I'm somebody who, who likes to get up every day and do something exciting. And, you know, people say, well, you've just got to accept things. You know, not everybody's life is exciting, but it can be. You have to make it exciting. Whilst the challenge is in the workplace, I like to do certain contracts because they're different and they're a challenge. But on the whole, in the insurance sector, if you're a broker or you're an insurer or any other aspect in the insurance, if you're part of a certain population, the chances are you're going through very similar issues. Yeah. On the odd occasion, there might be something more exciting to work on. So taking that and where I've been working with a number of startups, tech firms, I like the way they work. They're innovative. I like the way they think. I like the way you have to I have to think in terms of applying regulation to what they're doing. And so I've got a, a particular insure tech firm that I worked for and still working with since they started up, I don't know, about three years ago. The way that they think...
0: Are you, are you able to share the name? Yes,
1: Surely Limited. And they are amazing. And the kind of things that they do and how they do it. They're a complete different world apart from the city. So they, they're they in Shoreditch, which isn't a million miles from the city, but they've got an office there. They, it's all dressed down. There's like table tennis table in the office and pool tables, and it's all very chilled and relaxed. And some of the firms that they come and see when I say, all right, we've got to come and see this firm, they'll come in and say, do we have to wear a suit? And there's one particular firm where you do have to wear a suit. The, there's one guy turned around to me and said, I only ever take this out for funerals because they don't ever wear suits to work. Gosh. Because, And I get it because... That innovation, that thought process, it, it's driven by all of that. Anyway, so we've set up a company and we're looking at a market wide solution that we've been working on for about six, seven months. And we're quite excited because. We're just starting to take it to market. Don't want to say too much about it just yet because we've got a few conversations that we're having, but it is very, very exciting. It's exciting for insurers and what they're going to be doing and how they can do it. And it's looking at efficiencies. It's looking at being lean. It's looking at regulation. It's looking at delivering all the things that the regulator would want them to do. But it's also building in all the regulatory change that's kind of evolving, not just in 2018, but all the changes that Brexit are going to be bringing. So we've spent quite a lot of time on it. Yeah. So we're really quite excited about it.
0: It, it sounds really exciting. Yeah. And uh, I look forward to hearing more when you're you're in a position to share. Yeah. And I think that something that comes through to me as well is you're obviously making the most of the flexibility that independent consulting has given you. Because I assume building this takes quite a bit of your time, Ooh. and you, you know, like you said, you've your children now are obviously a bit older, but you still need to support yourself. I'm sure you probably still need to support them in some way, shape, or form. Yes. <laughs> and actually, by being independent, you're able to manage your time, as you say, manage the days with your clients to give you time to do this. And I think that's a a really interesting take on it, and an interesting benefit that people who may be thought of being independent as just the I'll do five days a week on a day rate maybe hadn't thought of so no really interesting to hear about
1: and it's also something that I read about this week I thought it was on LinkedIn and I think there was something from Richard Branson and it was about people wanting to set up a business and he said the best way of setting up a business is whilst you're working yeah don't think I need to stop everything that I'm doing because I'm going to set up a business do it whilst you're working if you've got a great idea and I'm sure. The number of people listening to this, if I said, how many times have you sat there and looked at something and said, that was my idea? The difference being that somebody else actually executed it and got off and actually made that happen. You know, the the number of people that say buying and selling on the internet. That was my idea, but you didn't do anything about it.
0: You know? <laughs> yeah. No, I, th- I think that's a really, really good bit of advice. Like you say, we I've worked in offices and I'm, I'm sure you have, Where well, you do have the, oh, I had the great idea for, you know, I had the idea for Uber 20 years ago. And like you say, ultimately in whatever you do, it comes down to that execution and actually doing it and not just not just talking about it. So so really, really good point. I'm very conscious of time. And I know you've got to to run to a meeting. So two very quick questions. First one, and this could be extremely quick, but like I've I've highlighted a couple of times, I quite like to read business books. I know a number of my listeners do. Are there any books that either you (laughs) find yourself giving to maybe your mentees or just other people in the industry, or books that have had a really big impact on yourself? that you would recommend?
1: It's one book, and it's a really tiny book. And I read it quite frequently, as in I'll pick it up in different stages of my life. Okay. And it's called Who Moved My Cheese?
0: I've, I've read Who's Have Moved you My read Cheese, that. yeah.
1: And every time you pick it up, it'll be a different meaning. Yeah. So it's looking at that and saying to my mentees, the working world is changing. The workforce is changing. Have a look at that. And have a look at which one you are. Because if my parents were still alive and I told them I was changing jobs or I was being a consultant, one, they wouldn't understand the world that I work in. But more importantly, it was a job for life. When you yeah. got a job in a company, you didn't leave, you stayed. It was a job for life. You know, the days of final salary pensions and all of that, that world doesn't exist anymore. So that's one
0: book that I've I've read quite frequently. Fantastic! No, re- really good recommendation. It's uh, yeah, I do have it. It's on my bookshelf, and like you say, it's, it's a very easy read. So for anyone listening, highly recommend. Very cheap and very quick to read. Yeah. And then the the last question, and I, I think we've touched on this, but I, I like to wrap it up at the the end of my interviews. Is for anyone who is thinking about going out into being an independent. So it could be someone like yourself who was actually in say a compliance function it could be someone who is maybe in a management consulting firm and they're they're on the fence they're on the fence about going out to an independent if you were sitting opposite them like you and i what would be the piece of advice you would give to that person
1: i think don't just go out there thinking i'm going to be independent and a consultant what is your strategy what is your business plan what makes you different nick to me what makes me different to you and what you offer You've got to have something that differentiates you from everybody else that's getting onto that bandwagon Yeah, because that's what it is. In the industry that I'm in, in compliance and compliance consulting, there are a number of people who've done the same job for years and by default, they haven't got anywhere else to go. So they're badging themselves as consultants. So there's that bucket. Do you want to be in that bucket? Not really. What you want to be is the one that's got something that's a bit different, something. So if you can work with insure tech firms, work with technology, and you've got something from an independent perspective, whether it's a, just a small idea but can be bolted onto your BAU, then use that as your differentiator. So do something that's different.
0: Re- really good advice. So Thank you very much for that. So as I say, I'm conscious that uh, you need to go. I've really enjoyed this, so thank you very much for the time. If any of my listeners are listening now and just think, I'd like to find out more about Sunita, or I'd like to reach out to her on any of the points you've raised, where can people find you? Where can people get in
1: touch? We've got a website, which is, if you type in Pada Consulting into Google, our website will come up. On there, you'll see my email, Sunita Pada. Look it up on Google. It'll come up with contact details. It's as simple as that. I don't need to give my email address because you'll be able to look me up on Find linkedin on, on a number of things as well and yeah please do get in touch and thanks nick i have really enjoyed it i'm
0: really glad to see so thank you very much and all the best for the rest of the week thank you I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Climb in Consulting podcast. If you did, I would be very grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher or your podcast platform of choice, whichever one you may be using. And please also share this with anyone that you think could benefit from hearing today's interview. If you want to get in touch or give me any feedback about the podcast, please feel free to drop me an email. It's nick at climbinconsulting.com and I look forward to hearing from you.